Well, you'll have to forgive me for tonight for sounding like a bullfrog, but I've been dealing with kind of a laryngitis and colds all week, and so uh, I praise God that it's His Holy Spirit and Word that changes lives, not my voice. So we don't have to worry about all that, right? Amen? Um, Why don't we uh, go ahead and read our text for today? We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 10 through 14. Starting in verse 10, it says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Can we go to the Lord and pray one more time and just ask Him for His blessing upon our time? God in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book that we hold in our hands that aren't just letters on a page. It's your holy word spoken to us as your people. Father God, for our encouragement, for our correction, for direction in our lives. God, many times your word convicts our hearts, sets our path straight. God, you know what's going on in each one of our lives. You know each of our hearts. And Father, I believe that you want to speak to each of us individually tonight. So God, whatever it is that you have to say, I pray that you would say it. That God, you would not allow my my voice to hinder your work in hearts tonight, Lord. I pray that you would just reign in this place. God, where you are, Satan has no place. And so Father, I just pray that you would remove distractions, remove the enemy from this place. Let us hear from you tonight, Lord, and let us be changed. Leaving this place looking more like Jesus, our Savior, than when we came in. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, bless your word now in this time, and be glorified through it all, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to start this off with just a few questions. One question is, what is it that you are pursuing the most in life? What are you striving after? What are your goals? What do you spend the most time and and effort and and resources doing as people? I I think it's true that whatever these answers to those questions are, um, those answers in a lot of ways reveal what's most important to us. Um, they, They reveal what we believe will fulfill us, what we believe will make us happy, what we believe will make us successful, what we believe will help us find meaning in life, what we put the most effort and the most focus into, what we're trying to grasp and attain for ourselves. At the end of the day, in so many ways, it is really what we believe is going to make us happy, fulfilled, all those things. So I just want to play a, a what-if game, right? What if you were able to attain all of your dreams in life? Like, what if you were able to reach the epitome of success 
at least in the world's eyes, where you had everything your heart desired, um, you're um, in, in a place where you desired, in a position where you desired, and, and everything in life is well, you feel at least like, boy, I've succeeded. Now, to an extent, that's a pursuit of all of our lives. Um, if we were just honest, it's part of it. But what if you got there and God asked you to give it all up for him? What if Jesus appeared to you and, and said, I want you to walk away from everything that you've worked for and attained in life to go serve me and tell people about me? Would you do it? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. That's exactly the scenario of Paul's life. Um, before Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, you know, from the world's perspective, at least around him, uh, the man had everything going for him. You know, he was from a good family. He was a successful man, a wealthy man, a man with an extremely bright future ahead of him. He was a devout religious man who took his service to God extremely seriously. And in fact, if you would read a few verses before this in chapter 3, um, he describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of the highest order, blameless in obeying God's law. He even described himself as a person extremely zealous for God. And from the perspective of most people around him, he had arrived. A man of success, a man with an unlimited future ahead of him. And yet what's interesting about this little memoir that, that Paul wrote about himself here earlier in chapter 3 is, is that he wrote this about his prior achievements decades after he left it all behind. As he pondered the man he was and, and all that he had achieved, he described all of it as worthless junk. The technical Greek term was excrement, poo. That's the way he looked at it. All those achievements, all those prior accomplishments, all the, that man that he was, everything that he attained, he looked at it as absolutely worthless junk compared to the, the infinite wealth of simply just knowing Jesus as Lord and belonging to him. And when Paul wrote these words, he was at a point in his life where he had faithfully served Jesus for some 30 years. When he wrote Philippians, almost 30 years had passed since he, he left that old life behind. He, he, had, he had led countless people to faith in Christ. He started churches all over the Roman Empire, taught and encouraged multitudes of Christians, and suffered greatly for it. By this point in his life, he had been imprisoned multiple times. In fact, he was in prison when he wrote this letter to encourage the church at Philippi. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had been flogged multiple times. He had been shipwrecked, left to drift, drift at sea, and he, and he did it all gladly for the glory of Christ. Paul, by this point in his life, was, generally speaking, probably an old man. A man that achieved probably more in his life than 99.9% .9 of Christians ever will. And yet what's more amazing about Paul that, that just challenged me so much this week as I was preparing for this message was that he was still discontented. Not with God. He was, he was discontented where, with where he was at, even spiritually. With what he had accomplished for the Lord throughout his life. For, for, for all that he had done, it still wasn't enough. 
And now as his life was nearing an end, Paul had this single-minded devotion, which was to know Jesus as intimately as he could, to experience as much of his power as he could, to become as much like him as he could, so that when he was called to meet Jesus once again, he could stand before him knowing that he gave all that he could. You know, Jesus spoke a verse back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think we can probably all agree when it came to Paul, he lived it. Because the greatest treasure in his life wasn't the things that he had attained in his past. It wasn't the wealth. It wasn't the fame. It wasn't the riches. The greatest treasure that Paul had was Jesus. And he wanted to make sure that he gave him all that he could. I want to talk for a moment here as we kind of walk through these verses, starting in verse 10, 11, about Paul's desire in his life. Now, one would think that a guy like Paul, after he had done as much as he had for the Lord, would just, you know, just coast to the end of his life, go into spiritual retirement, and, and just be content with all that he accomplished for the Lord. And yet, that was the furthest thing from his mind. As close as he was to the Lord, it's, he, he says here in verse 10 that, that he wanted to know Christ deeper. When he says to know Christ here, he's not talking about just some scholarly head knowledge. If anybody knew, had head knowledge about Jesus, it was Paul. I mean, he had probably the greatest, you know, the greatest um, grasp on the deep doctrines of Jesus that, than, than any of those people did. But, but he wasn't talking about just knowing about Jesus. He wanted to know Jesus personally. He wanted to experience him in relationship he wanted more of him. He wanted to spend more time walking and talking with him. He wanted to become a closer friend to him than he was already. He wanted Jesus to become the absolute center of his life. As, as much as he knew him, he wanted to know him more. He, he knew that, that, that he had just touched the surface of who Jesus was and he wanted to experience more. He goes on to say that he, he also wanted to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. What power is that? Well, Romans 8.11 tells us that it was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Apostle Paul wrote this, lives in you. And, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to our mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So, so what the question then is, is, what does Paul mean when he says he wants to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead? It could have been that he was simply talking about his own eventual resurrection, that he was looking forward to death and just couldn't wait till the day that he um, finally passed from this earth and was in the presence of the Lord. Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, boy, I just can't wait to, to finally get away from here and meet him. It, it, it could, he could mean that he wanted to experience more of the Holy Spirit's power in, in his ministry. I'm sure he did. He, he had done incredible things, and I'm sure that was definitely part of it. He definitely wanted to experience the resurrection power of God for himself in his own life. And a third option was that Paul was looking forward to all of that, but he was also seeking this resurrection power to help him become more like Jesus in the present. 
I want you to consider for a moment what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, Therefore we were buried with Christ through baptism and the death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So he gives this picture of baptism buried and in rising again. And he says, those of us who are in Christ have been raised with Christ now in the present to walk a new life through him, not a life controlled by sin, controlled by Satan, controlled by lust and desires, but a, but a life that's new in Christ. He went on to say in verse 10 and 11 of Romans 6, he says, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. I really believe that this is really what Paul was talking about when he says here, I want to experience the mighty power that rose Christ from the dead. He was talking about this resurrection power. He wanted more of that in his life. He wanted to look more like Jesus than he did already. And the reason I really believe this is the direction that he was headed is because of what he said next. That I want to suffer with him. Who would say that? I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, it's important to understand that Paul wasn't questioning his eventual resurrection into heaven when his dead body was transformed into his eternal body. Uh, that really hadn't, this really wasn't Paul questioning whether or not heaven was real or heaven was there or if he was going. I really believe he was simply stating that he wanted to come as close to looking like Jesus in the present as he could. He didn't want to wait until heaven to be done with sin and selfish living. He wanted as much of that life as he could then. He wasn't sure how long he'd be alive on earth, but until that day come, he wanted to experience as much of the Holy Spirit's transforming power in his life as he could. And so then you have to ask yourself, if that's true, what does suffering have to do with it? What, was Paul just looking to get to, to heaven quicker? Was he some sort of fatalist? I want to suffer, I want to die so that I can be with him. Was he just trying to somehow get some extra credit with God? Like, boy, if I suffer, maybe I'll get an extra few crowns when I get to heaven? I don't think so. I think the idea of what he's talking about here in these couple of verses about knowing Christ, experiencing his power, suffering with him so that he could somehow experience the resurrection from the dead one way or the other. He knew it was going to happen when he died, that he'd be transformed, that he'd be glorified, but he wasn't talking about just then. He was talking about he wanted to experience it in the present. So what does suffering have to do with it? I think it's the idea of what the Apostle Peter spoke about in 1 Peter 4. Listen to what 1 Peter 4 verses 1 and 2 says. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Listen to this, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you will have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing after your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. So I really believe the idea of what his, he's talking about here, this, this single-minded devotion, was, was this reality that he was saying, I want to get to the point where I am willing to suffer anything. 
willing to suffer pain, willing to suffer loss, willing to suffer even to the point of death. Because if I can be willing to do that, those temptations the devil keeps throwing my way won't work no more. See, if we, if we can be that focused on Jesus that we're willing to suffer for his sake, the, day, the devil just... There's another side of this, I believe, as, as well. I'm sure Paul considered all that was accomplished through Christ's suffering, and, and if suffering in the like manner would allow him to accomplish even a fraction of what Jesus accomplished in his life, I'm sure he was willing to do it. Could that be what he meant by this? Maybe. I want to suffer. Jesus, if your suffering did accomplish as much as you did through yours, if, if I can just accomplish just a fraction of what you did, Lord, bring it to me because I want to do it for your glory. See, Paul knew that his race was coming to a close. The day, he didn't know how many days or months or years he had left, and, and he wanted to give his all, not only to becoming as much as like Christ as he could, but he wanted to accomplish as much for Christ's kingdom as he could as well. When Jesus called Paul into ministry, he was, he was called to go to the to the Gentiles, to the world, and to reach these people, these non-Jews. And, and even at the end of his life, after he'd spent three decades ministering to people and reaching people, he knew there was places that still had people that didn't hear the gospel. Communities and, and, and cities that didn't have churches to minister to the people. And, and he was wanting still to, to do those things. See, what we see after Paul's desire to, he wants to know Christ, to experience his power, to even suffer so we could become like him, to, to be useful for his kingdom, we get to verse 2 and we see Paul's dissatisfaction. Let's look at verse 12, the first part of verse 12 here. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. He, he's talking about what he just said. I want to know Christ more experientially. I want to become more like him, experience his power. And he says here that I've not achieved those things. I'm not, I'm not perfect yet. Paul was still a man who had issues in his life. He had accomplished many things for the Lord, and yet he wasn't satisfied. He wanted more. He knew there was still work to be done that he had not yet accomplished. He knew that there were still areas of his life that were not totally right with God. He, was yet, he wasn't yet glorified. He was still a man in a, in, a, in, a, in a body that was unfortunately succumbed to sin at times, and it ate at him. It had to of the way he was writing this. It goes back to that old song, the closer I get to the cross, the more amazed I am by grace. We look at Paul's life and go, boy, I, I just hope I can achieve that. But Paul wasn't looking at somebody around him. He was looking at Jesus. And compared to Christ, he had a long ways to go. See, Paul knew that Jesus' goal for his life was to become as much like him as he could to be perfected, to get to a place where sin no longer had a foothold in his life. Paul knew the very reason Jesus had to die was for the very sin that he struggled with in his own life, and he wanted those things out of his life. He wanted to serve Jesus unhindered by sin. And so Paul makes a decision in the second part of verse 12 and in the verse 13. He says, in spite of those things, right, I, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first 
possessed me. What's, what's he striving for when he says that perfection? What standard? Standard of Christ. When he's talking about perfection here, he's, he's talking about becoming like Jesus. Because that's exactly what Jesus saved him for, was to become like him. He, he wrote earlier in, chapter, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he says he's certain that God who began the good work in you will continue it until it's finally finished when the day of Christ Jesus comes. He, he possessed us first to, to make us perfect just like him. Now, he knew this would eventually happen, but, but Paul didn't want to wait until then. He knew that every struggle he had was something that the, the devil could use to hinder the work that Jesus had called him to do. And so he made a decision that he would do all he could and work as hard as he could to attain as much of that perfection as he could now. Not to be more accepted, not to, not to somehow make up for his past, simply because he loved Jesus. And so when he makes his decision, he says, I have to forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. Now, why was forgetting the past important for the Apostle Paul? Let's think about his past failures for a moment. You know, before Jesus, Paul had done incredibly bad things to Christians, had them imprisoned, had them tortured, possibly killed. Even since Paul had been saved, he'd fell short many a times. Read Romans chapter 7. He, he was a man who had struggles just like you and I do. And I, I have no doubt that, that he experienced the same voices in his head that we do on occasion in ours, which is the voice of Satan, his words of condemnation, his words of guilt. Look what you did. You aren't worthy to serve God? How could God want somebody like you? See, if we let these voices win out, they can absolutely cripple us. They can, they can defeat us in our Christian lives. These voices of condemnation can even cause us to withdraw from the work of the Lord completely if we allow it to. It's just, I have to forget my past, Paul says. He had to remind himself that what we, that we do as Christians, that, that he was uh, forgiven in Christ, that he, the righteousness, that, um, that it wasn't his righteousness that caused God to accept him, it was Christ's righteousness that causes God to accept him. Paul had to remind himself, like we often do, that God's love for him was unconditional. The last God's love never quits. Can I tell you something? If we allow our past to define us, Satan will use that as a tool in our lives to hold us back from doing anything for God. He says, I have, to, I have to forget the past. But he wasn't just talking about the failures, I don't believe. You know, at the end of my life, I hope I can accomplish a small fraction of what Paul did, and yet he was absolutely discontented with what he had accomplished so far in his life. Why? Because when it came to serving Christ, it was never enough. There was always more to do. Can I tell you something? A pitfall that we have to avoid as Christians is looking at the people around us and going, well, I do more than they do. I serve more than they do. I'm more committed to God than they are. 
so that we make ourselves feel good. Can I tell you something? That's not the standard. The standard's Christ. I don't care what we have done in the past. I don't care what victory we've had in the past. It doesn't matter how much we've served the Lord in the past. Friends, it's not enough. We gotta keep serving, keep doing, keep loving, keep reaching, because he deserves it. But it's not just getting past the past. We have to look forward to what lies ahead. I love the way Tony Evans put this. He says, don't spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror because a much bigger piece of glass called the windshield should have your focus because when, where you're going is a lot bigger than where you have been. And I love this because, especially related to Paul, because for as much as Paul had accomplished up to this point in his life, he knew his work wasn't done. There were still people to reach, still people that were lost and on their way to hell. There were still people that needed to hear the gospel, still churches that need to be built, still Christians that need to be encouraged, people that need to be built up. He couldn't stop. It wasn't enough. He didn't care what he had done. And friends, he, would, he did way more than any of us ever did. I can guarantee you that. He spent his entire 30 years doing nothing but sharing the gospel, encouraging Christians, suffering, starting churches, and doing it all over again. And he said, it's still not enough. The past means nothing because my focus is on what lies ahead. So we get to Paul's devotion in verse 14. He says here, I, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which Christ Jesus, for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What does he mean by the end of the race? I mean, certainly he means the end of his life, whether it was him being taken or dying or whatever that was. And so he says here, until that day comes, he says, I, I, I press on to reach the end of that race. What does he mean by now? I don't usually get into like Greek language and all that kind of stuff, but, but, but the idea of this phrase is the idea of a person exerting every muscle and every nerve in their body, reaching out with all their might until they get to the end of the finish line type of a thing. It's used often like in, in races, like a, chariot, like a chariot race back in the old day. They're doing everything they can to get to the end. of Why? Because of the prize that's there. To get to the end of the race, he says here, so they can receive his heavenly prize. The question then is, what's the heavenly prize? Is it the crowns we're going to receive? Sure. Is it the rewards we're going to get? The, the heavenly mansion we're going to get to take possession of that Jesus is talking about? Is it the streets of gold we're going to get to walk on? The eternal life that we're going to get to gain? Sure. I think all those things are, are part of it, I'm, but I don't believe that's what Paul was referring to. See, th th think about what we've talked about in verse 10 and 11. What was Paul's desire? He gave everything, his striving, every muscle, every nerve. What was he striving for? To know Christ as deeply as he could. To experience as much power as he, as he could. To suffer whatever was necessary to become as much like him as he could. Why? Because Jesus was the prize. He was the greatest prize in Paul's life, and he wanted to give everything to attain that. 
There's a reason he spent his entire um, ministry career giving everything he possibly could because Jesus was the center of his life the whole time. He wasn't distracted by chasing this dream or that dream or whatever the world says is successful here or there. Jesus was the dream. Jesus was the prize. Jesus was the goal. He wanted to see him face to face, and when he did, he wanted to do it knowing that he gave him his all, knowing he put forth his very best effort to be the person to do the work that Jesus had called him to do. When he finally met Jesus, he wanted to be there and hear the words, well done. That was his desire. That was his goal. And so what did he do? He devoted himself to give every bit of effort he could to attain it. Even in prison, Paul wouldn't be distracted. He kept ministering to people. He kept encouraging the church. When even some church history says he got out of prison for a short time and went over and, and maybe in the Spain area and did some more ministry, we don't know all that to be true. But the point is, until he died according to church history with his head being lopped off for his testimony of faith, he worked until the very end serving Jesus. And I can tell you that I believe with all my heart that when Paul stood before the Lord, Jesus was smiling. Now, at the beginning of this message, I asked a few questions. What are we pursuing in life? What are we striving after? What are our goals? And I said, generally speaking, the answer to those questions reveal what's the most important to us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is Jesus at the top of that list? Is he the prize in your life? What's your relationship with Jesus like? Do, do you have that same desire as Paul did? I just want to know him deeper. I just want to know him more. I'm not asking if you know who Jesus is. I'm not asking if you know facts about Jesus. For starters, do you even know Jesus at all, personally? I don't mean about Jesus. I mean, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Was, has there been a time in your life that you chose to follow him as Savior and Lord? Hey, has there been a time in your life where you came to this realization that I am a sinner and I need a Savior and the only way to heaven is Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you, where, you, where you trusted in what Christ did by going to a cross, being buried and rising again and saying, that's good enough for me. Jesus, I want what you did to count for me in my life. Be my, not just my Savior, be my Lord and Master. A moment where you said, Jesus, I'm done going my way. Jesus, I'm going yours. See, it all starts there. Being a Christian isn't just about a bunch of facts. It's about a personal, real relationship where Jesus becomes the king of our lives. Has that happened? In your life, do you desire to experience the same resurrection power of the Spirit as Paul did? As you examine your life, are you willing to suffer whatever it takes if that means it's going to get you one step closer to looking like Jesus? Are you willing to do that? You know, James chapter 1 
Verses two through four, listen to what this says. He says, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, trials, suffering, all these things, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Friend, that's what Paul was talking about. He wanted to suffer because of that truth right there because he knew if he suffered for Christ, it was making him more like Jesus. And if he became more like Jesus, he would be more effective in reaching people for Jesus. Is that a desire in your life? You know, the only person that would ask God for that is a person who is discontent with where they are at spiritually and with what they have done for the Lord. The only person that would say, I want to suffer for you, is a person that looks at their own life and says, I have not arrived yet. Jesus, I'm not perfect yet because I still don't look as much like you as I need to. I, there, there's still people out there. I haven't done enough for you, Lord. See, only a person who recognizes that in their life would say, I want to suffer so I can get there. So a few questions. Are you satisfied with where you're at in your walk with Jesus? Have you overcome all the temptations and stares in your life? Do you never struggle with sin? Are you already perfected? Are you satisfied with where your commitment is to the Lord? Are you satisfied with the time and energy that you put into His kingdom and into His church? Are you satisfied with how devoted you are to serving and encouraging the people sitting around you in this room? Are you satisfied with how many lives you've affected in our communities? Are you satisfied with how many people you've reached with the gospel? If you're the end of your race was today. Are you satisfied enough with your life that you would walk up to Jesus with your head held high knowing you gave your all? Friends, if the answer is yes, then I'll just say you're a far better man than me or woman. Because I ain't nowhere close to where Paul was and Paul looked at his life and says, I'm not satisfied. The truth is, if we'd be, if we would honestly compare our lives to the standard of Christ, the standard He set forth for us in His life, in His ministry, and in His death, we will never be able to answer yes to that question until the day we meet Him. Some say, well, we can never meet that standard. We can never be perfect. Well, exactly. Jesus set the bar high, didn't He? But you think maybe he set it high so we would never give up? Sweden. <laughs> but can I tell you something? We still need to give our best. So if you're not where you want to be with the Lord as we close, I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself a question. What's hindering you? If, if you're dissatisfied with where you're at, is there something hindering you from moving forward? from giving your best effort with all your energy, every nerve of your body striving to know Christ more and to make Him known. If, if that's not where you're at, what's hindering you in your life? Is it something in your past? Is there some past sin hindering you from feeling worthy to serve the Lord? Can I tell you something that's real in some people's lives? Because some past failure, they don't feel like they're worthy to serve God. Can I tell you something? Don't let the devil use that to defeat you. 
You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by that at all. In fact, you're defined by Christ if you're a Christian. Can I tell you something? The Bible says in Romans 3, there is no one good, no, not one. There ain't a single one of us that deserves Jesus. There ain't a single one of us that deserves to go to heaven. We're all unworthy. But can I tell you what makes us worthy? The blood of Christ that covers us as Christians. The imputed righteousness of Christ that transferred to us the moment we got saved. That's the only thing that makes us acceptable. And and even even then, we're not just sort of accepted. We're made children of God. We learned all the way through the book of 1 John. That's what we are, our children of the living God. If it's not some past sin, is there some past hurt that is hindering you? you know, there's many a Christian that have stepped back from the Lord on account of some wound from the past. Are there accomplishments from your past, service done, that has caused you to believe that you've put your time in? I've done my work. I've done my share. I've done my part. Friends, we have to put all of that behind us because we're no more defined by our past failures or hurts than we are defined by our past victories. Is there something in the present that's hindering you? Are you too busy? Are your priorities misaligned? Is there something that's going to, that's going to have to go in your life to make room, more room for Jesus, more room for His church, more room for one another? Can I tell you something, whether it's something in your past or something in your present, the only solution is to make a decision in this moment as Paul did and choose to forget the past, to press on with a single-minded devotion to know Jesus as intimately as you can, to experience as much of His power as you can, so you can become as much like Him as you can, so that when you are finally called home to meet Him, you will be able to stand there with your head high high as Paul did and hear those words, well done. Friends, we all have a long ways to go, and I'm going to be the first one to admit to you that, that I'm there too. Let's give Jesus everything we got. For all that he has done for us, the least we can do is give him our all in the days and years we have left. Let's serve him wholeheartedly. Let's make Jesus our single-minded devotion. Let him be the prize of our life so that when we finally get to heaven where we're going to be for eternity, can I tell you something? If, if he's the prize, we're going to receive it because we'll be with him forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you, God, for the challenge that comes from it, Lord. It amazes me that a man like the Apostle Paul who did so much could still at the end of his life say he hasn't done enough. God, let us have that attitude. Let us never become complacent or apathetic or settle in thinking we've done enough. Let us not be distracted by the things of this world, by all the noise, by our goals, by our dreams, by our whatever. Lord, let's give us the grace, God, to make you the center of our lives, to make Jesus and your church the center of our lives. Let us do everything we can to prioritize what Christ prioritized because that's the call. That's the upward call to become like Christ. In every aspect of our life, from the way that we talk to our attitudes, the way that we live, 
the thing we spend the most time on, God, Jesus is the standard. Heavenly Father, let us make him the center of all that we do. If there's anybody here in this place, Father, that has never made the decision to follow Christ as Savior, Heavenly Father, I pray that they would do that tonight. That they would recognize that they are hopeless to get to heaven on their own. They need Jesus. They need Jesus to not only save them, but to lead them throughout their lives, that they can live for you. So God, if, they, if there's anybody here or anybody listening, Father, let them call on your name. Receive Jesus, ask him into their life to be their Lord, to be their Savior, to be their Master. Ask him to forgive them their sins and, and, and to be saved, Father. Just let them make that decision, God. And let them choose this, this day to, to serve you with their whole heart. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God, we close. You guys can remain seated. and. Um...